Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bowley. Before your God, come. 
Our gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, I grew up on the big hill behind St. Mary's, just off Route 16. I remember that every morning, about 8 o'clock in the morning, my sister and I would walk the 100 yards or so from the house out the driveway to the bus stop that stood there, and we'd meet the McEldownies, who had walked up from their home deep behind Old Man Wilson's pasture in the hollow behind our home. The wind would sweep across the top of the hill. It was slowed down by this barbed wire fence just outside Denver. But by the time it got to us, it had picked up speed again. <laughs> the bus stop was at the very top of the hill. There wasn't anything out there that you could just see so far to the west. We were beside Greens Run Road, and we could see deep into the Ohio River Valley to the northwest, where the valley was filled with fog most mornings. But we were usually in bright sunlight up there in the cold reaches, even when it snowed. Snow might be blowing past us, caught in this brisk 20, 30, even 40 mile an hour wind, and I can hear the crunch of the frozen snow on the driveway as we walked out on those snowy mornings. And of course, we'd be shivering. Maybe we'd hide in the lee of the bus stop or we'd stand in the entrance to that small eight foot by eight foot wooden structure. Today, I wonder just why it didn't blow over one night when the winter winds blew strong. We could look out toward St. Mary's and we'd see the Vanoy kids, they were on a small hill between us and, and downtown, and we would see the Vanoy kids begin this quarter mile walk out their driveway from their house to Greens Run Road. And of course, we'd stick our heads back, back out of that frigid wind. And then we'd hear the sound that we'd all been waiting for, the heralds announced the arrival of our Savior from the cold. Far off in the distance, a quarter mile to Route 16 and another half mile down the big hill, we'd hear from the Wilson kids who yelled at the top of their lungs what they'd seen coming up the hill. Bus! 
And then a few seconds later, Dave Conway, who lived over at the, near the entrance to Greens Run Road, he'd take up the cry and yell, BUS! And then we'd yell, BUS! across the big valley there in front of us, and we'd see the Vinoy kids break into a run as they were trying to get down to, the, to the, their bus stop before the bus arrived. Well, the bus would arrive at our place, and we'd all clump on board, getting the snow off as we went up those steps into the bus. We'd take our seats, and we'd ride down the hill, down to to the next few stops after the Vinoys, and we'd finally go under those dark clouds and down into the fog, and down we'd, we'd go to the school in St. Mary's where we were in that dark and shadowy valley. And for the next few hours in the school, we'd wait for the sun to finally break through and light up the world because, see, we'd remember how bright and beautiful the world was up there in the cold hilltop, up on top, above the clouds. You know, for most people, the world of ancient Israel was a dark place. For many people today, it still is a very dark place. Everywhere is. Oh, there was sunlight. You can't live in a dry country like Israel without experiencing sunlight. But for the average Israelite, the world around them was very dark and gloomy. It began with the land. While some parts of Israel were very fertile, other parts, they were prone to drought, and that's where the poorer people all lived. They tended not to have the fertile areas, but the less fertile areas. The soil, it had been overworked over the years. There weren't any modern fertilizers, and crops had a difficult time growing well. And the tools for the average farmer, they didn't have tractors. No, they had a cow, maybe a donkey, maybe a donkey cart. And everything they had was made of wood or stone. Iron tools, you see, were very, very expensive. They didn't even have curved plows. That wouldn't be invented for another thousand years. Plowing was done with just a solid piece of lumber, maybe the end of it pointed. The land was crowded, for there was no birth control, yet many children died before their fifth birthday from disease or starvation. Bandits showed up every so often to take what they wanted, and the king had wanted his share of the produce, and the occupying Romans, they came by and they took what they wanted. The people, you see, lived in darkness. Many stopped farming, and they moved to town to beg because the farming didn't do any good. In particular, you see, if a man died, his widow was often left with little option except to go into prostitution because working a farm was very hard work for a strong man supported by a family, let alone for a single mother who had borne four or five children and many bore 10 or 12 children, nursing each one, providing the calcium from her own bones as they became more and more brittle over the years. So where was the hope? If the taxes weren't paid, the land was taken and given to a wealthier family that could pay the taxes. There was no welfare, there were no food stamps, there were no organized charities, there was no state support for the poor. You worked, or you begged, or you died. 
And so the people looked back in time to the great prophet Isaiah, who had heard from God that there was hope in the future, that there was a Savior arriving someday. Their God would arrive. Isaiah wrote, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then he wrote, A voice of one calling, In the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground will become level, and the rugged places a plain. Have you ever thought what it must have been like to walk the hundred miles from the lake at Galilee to Jerusalem? There was just a rough donkey cart path that followed the Jordan River downstream, a path that flooded every spring, and a rough path that led up past Jericho and then up another 3,000 feet from the river to Jerusalem, a dry, rocky, dusty road. Sometime when you're driving on the back roads around here, I want you to imagine going back 150 years and walking on that unpaved road or riding a small cart pulled by a donkey over all the ups and downs, through the small streams, over the hills where the road today is cut into the hill, but it wasn't back then, and down to the bottom and back up again for the roads of ancient Israel they were little more than footpaths. And so it was a wonder when Isaiah promised a straight highway in the desert, a straight level highway for God. It was a miracle that the valleys would be raised up and the mountains and hills made low, the rough ground made level, and the rugged places into a plain. Imagine, if you will, constructing a modern interstate highway through our state with just wooden shovels and donkeys. Yeah, the glory of the Lord would be revealed and all people would see it. But today, you know, we have wheat to harvest and vegetables to save from the weeds, and there's no place to buy extra food and no money, and if we don't grow it this year, we'll starve. In fact, we might starve before the harvest anyway, so get to work. We'll work until the sun goes down, and you better get up before dawn. After all, you're 12 years old. Next summer, you'll be considered a man, and your twin sister will be getting married the year after that. Yeah, for most people, ancient Israel was a dark place. And then one day, a voice was heard from a strange man in the wilderness, away from any town or city, simply standing beside the road, preaching. The man was John. He was a cousin of Jesus. John's father was named Zechariah. His mother was Elizabeth. Jesus' mother Mary spent time with Elizabeth during their pregnancies. More about John and his parents can be found at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. I urge you to read it, the first couple chapters. But the Apostle Mark expressly connected John to the Isaiah prophecy. Mark wrote, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And what was John's message? It's time to repent. 
It's time for each of us to rethink our relationship with God. And as a commitment to God, each person is to do something uncomfortable, to take an action that's uncomfortable to begin with, but will feel refreshing afterwards. John called upon each person to be baptized in the Jordan River to have their sins forgiven by God. Now John's call was new, but baptism wasn't new in Israel. In fact, at this time, the Israelites even baptized pots and pans, knives and spoons, and even furniture to symbolize their cleansing and removal of evil. People were baptized. Priests had a ritual washing before they could serve in the temple. But John's baptism took baptism to a new, much wider level. And there was something very deep about baptism. For you see, baptism is not merely a washing with water. The first mention of the word baptism about 150 B.C. was a discussion of pickles. The act of putting something, say pickles, in a pickling solution of vinegar and salt was the original meaning of baptism. I want you to consider what happens when a cucumber is baptized. First, it's cleansed of the bacteria that causes rot. Because of that interchange, the cucumber will last much longer if it's been baptized, pickled, than if it's just laid on the counter. And so in a way, pickling gives a much longer life to the cucumber. Second, it's changed deeply from the inside out. It tastes different. The pickle doesn't really have any say about the change that happens. Even the person putting the cucumber into the pickling solution doesn't cause the change. It's the pickling solution within the cucumber that causes the change. And that change is visible to people looking at the cucumber. Furthermore, you can't turn a pickle into merely a cucumber again. The change is one way. And baptizing the pickle a second time doesn't do any good. Cucumbers can be baptized at any size, from the littlest, tiniest gherkins up to the largest, oldest cucumbers. Now later on, the word baptism was used to discuss the application of colored dye into cloth. Now that dye can be applied by soaking the cloth in a vat of dye, or it can be applied by putting the dye onto the cloth by pouring on the dye or sprinkling on the dye. In either event, that change is not reversible. And so it is with people. Baptism is more than washing. Our life is extended to eternity because the Holy Spirit now dwells within us. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit within us that changes us. Our character begins to change. And you know, baptizing us a second time doesn't do us any good. After all, if we think we need baptized a second time, then we're claiming God messed up the first time. For we don't baptize ourselves, and the pastor doesn't really baptize us. He only applies the water. The real baptism is caused by the Holy Spirit dwelling and working within us. God acting upon us. And God doesn't make mistakes. Just like with dye, we can be immersed in water, or have water poured upon us, or we can be sprinkled with water. Each has its symbology, but all are valid. It's the prayer for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within us that is important. 
and the fact that we're willing to do something uncomfortable, mildly uncomfortable, to follow Jesus that's important. Not the method or the age of the person. God does the baptism and doesn't require us to understand anything at all. After all, we would surely be willing to baptize a person with mental shortcomings, wouldn't we? And we would baptize someone who couldn't hear or speak, wouldn't we? So why not baptize a child to encourage the Holy Spirit to be in the child from an early age to lead the child away from a sinful life? John's baptism was incomplete, however. His baptism was for repentance and the forgiveness of sins, but it would take the arrival of the Holy Spirit to make baptism complete. As John said, after me comes one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If you or a loved one needs baptized, let me know and we'll arrange it. My email and telephone numbers are on the back of the bulletin. And so the herald of the Messiah arrived. John, who became known as John the Baptizer, or just John the Baptist, began to preach by the Jordan River and baptize people. John never pointed to himself much, except to say that he was the one calling in the wilderness. He kept pointing to the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior who was soon to arrive. Just like my friends and I yelled, Bus! when that warm, safe place was about to arrive. And people came to see and hear John from all over Israel, from Jerusalem and Judah, and from the, the, lake, around Galilee, the lake that Galilee was around in the north. John became the talk of Israel, and disciples began to come to him to listen to his teachings. In particular, there were two sets of brothers who came to listen, a man named John and his brother James, and another man named Simon and his brother Andrew. The four of them, all fishermen from the Lake of Galilee, they spent considerable time with John. Besides the Bible, John's mentioned in historical texts of the time. The Jewish and Roman historian Josephus speaks of him and his followers. And after John's death, some people in Israel continued to follow John. Even today, there is a group known as Mandaeans or Sabians who consider John to be the greatest and final of all prophets. They denied Jesus. Well, 20 years ago, there were about 60,000 followers of John who were living mainly in Iraq. They've now mostly fled to Australia and Sweden, and they're still focused on baptism. Jesus strongly supported his cousin John. As John pointed toward Jesus as the Messiah and encouraged some of John's disciples to follow Jesus like Simon and Andrew, James and John, the fishermen. And in return, Jesus said that the greatest of all prophets before Jesus arrived as Son of God was John. And so as the year 30 approached, John was preaching and baptizing by the Jordan River far from any town Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And this is the most important thing that we can learn from John. Have we prepared the way for the Lord? Are we opening ourselves up to the arrival of Jesus? And have we welcomed the Holy Spirit in our lives? Or are we putting barriers on the way to our soul? 
I want you to ask yourselves this week, what is blocking me from opening myself up to truly following Jesus completely in my life? What barriers, what rocks and boulders have I put in place that I use as excuses to not give myself over totally to doing what Jesus asked of me? Have I said I'm too old to work for Jesus? Have I said I'm too young and inexperienced to work for Jesus? Have I said I don't know enough? Have I said I've got more important things to do? Have I even said, and it can sound so trivial, I don't like to go out in the evening so I won't get involved with a Bible discussion group or any other group? Have I said, I can't walk to the front of the church during altar calls because it's embarrassing? We let the most minor things keep us from coming closer to Jesus. For we all know, we all know that if we let him deeply into our heart, if we really let him deep into our heart, we'll never be the same. We'll be like cucumbers changed into pickles. And that's scary. But letting him get closer to us is what the message is from John. Prepare the way for our Lord in the world and with ourselves. Move those boulders and fallen trees out of the way. Prepare the way from the Lord to your heart. Straighten out the path for your king. Bulldoze away those excuses, those barriers that we've put into place. Let the herald through. No, become the herald and pass the word down the line. The king is arriving soon. Be like those children who cried out on the cold mornings, Bus! And they passed it on. And receive your king. Step out of the cold and the darkness into his warmth and light. Bow before him and say, what would you have me do? For there will soon be a day when there is no darkness and no fog and no clouds. There'll be an unclouded day.
Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.